Hello everyone, Hello. we're live and, and uh, Yanis has just uh, joined us. Join us uh, there he is. Thanks, thanks Yanis. Yeah, see you. Hello, see you. Um, Sorry, go on Frank. No, I was listening to this uh, song and actually a few people have, have asked, you know, what's, what's the song? So it's Let's Talk It Over and it's by Lee Fields. Um, it's a very beautiful song. Um, and... I love it. Every time it comes on. I I only wish Joanne could figure out that what it needs to be done technically so that the the people out there in great people land could be watching us all tapping our toes and, and you know, yeah. grooving along. We we need a few more cameras and stuff, but that's yeah. that's doable. It, but anyway, if, you know, here we go. Yeah. Like we're about to go down the pub. Yeah. And have a chat about something other. But you know what would be great, actually, is to actually one day do it in a pub. You know, if COVID ends and if, you know, like, we just do it in the pub, that'd be amazing. You mean we'd have to meet? Yeah. And <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that'd be the bad part. But we have to you know. drink. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, this is a slippery fucking... Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, we, we, we live. Um, it's uh, Let's Talk It Over. Uh, yeah. Tonight we're showing the show live on Let's Talk It Over, the YouTube channel, on DM25 and on Roger's YouTube channel for the first time. So um, we're expecting a lot of people to watch this. Uh, if you're watching us now um, and if you want to hear the previous conversations we've had, uh, just go to Let's Talk It Over on YouTube and uh, like the video, subscribe, and uh, you you know you'll be sure not to miss any other conversations we're having. And by the way, Let's <clears throat> Talk It Over is also now uh, a podcast. So tomorrow, at the latest, you will be able to listen to this conversation um, on as a podcast version. So Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, all all the stuff that do podcast. We're here to talk about what everybody is talking about right now and has been talking about for 27 days. It's the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, we're not going to have to talk about everything about this topic, I guess, but we're going to try to address the, the why, the reasons, uh, NATO, Putin, uh, the sanctions that are in place now um, against Russia and actually against all Russians, pretty much, or a lot of Russians. Uh, the media role into, uh, you know, and propaganda, because it's an important part of what's happening as well, um, and much, much more. We had difficulty, actually, to agree and find a title for this show, which shows that it's uh, it's some kind of, a, I don't think it's, it's ever black and white, even though right now the mainstream media is trying to tell us that it's black and white. Um, I think there's always uh, some gray zones, and we're going to try to address them tonight. And I'm going to stop now and give the floor to Edge Temelkuran from Hamburg, Germany. I mean, you're not from Hamburg, Germany, but you are in Hamburg, Germany. Yeah, I am. Gentlemen, hello. Uh, I moved to Hamburg for six months. Uh, so if you want to, you know, listen to a concert in Alp Flarmony, the legendary uh, concert hall, please be my guest. I was in a contemporary music concert. It was 
horrifying uh, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> it was really, I, I'm not telling the name. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the it has been two weeks I came here and last Sunday and this Sunday, the last Sunday and previous Sunday, uh, the same thing happened in the city center, this so-called peace protest. And everybody was dressed in, either dressed in blue and yellow, or they painted themselves blue and yellow. They were carrying something blue and yellow. Everywhere was Ukrainian flag colors. And at night, by the way, big uh, buildings are doing this blue and yellow lightning and everything. So everything is blue and yellow in Europe, obviously. So it got me thinking, like, what the hell? I'm like, I don't remember in 2003, for instance, when Iraqi invasion happened, when Iraqi invasion happened, nobody was dressing in Iraqi flag colors. And I tweeted about this the other day, like nobody dressed in Iraqi flag colors. And one stupid guy said that, you know what? It's not easy to distinguish between all those Arab flags. So that's why actually maybe it didn't happen. Obviously it's not the reason. <laughs> and I thought how easy it is uh for peace protesters when you know their demands are in line with the real politic of their nations so accordingly actually there there is no you know excitement no euphoria no 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 it's not burning you see i'm like it's all serene super calm maybe it's hamburg but uh, you know hamburg is not a very exciting place in that sense but I think all over the world, this uh, being in the same line with the real politic of the NATO and European countries and United States uh, is, you know, does have an effect on the peace protests. And I do think that now they are being utilized by the real politic. I don't want to go into conspiracy, but I feel like something is cooking and everybody's getting prepared i'm like yeah, the 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 real politic is preparing the crowds for a you know bigger war or a longer war and so on this is one part of the story which you know i am so keen to uh, listen what you think about and the other thing is this sanctions on the oligarchs how politically pathetic is it is i mean like you cannot do anything and you do this oligarch you know sanctions on oligarchs and yanis wrote a piece about this uh, about the scrutiny of oligarch kick money and the swiss banks and so on and i yanis i agree with you i hope this scrutiny uh, takes a broader and it goes to a broader scale and they scrutinize all the illegal black money, money laundering and all the dictatorship money and so on. But it seems they only do things, they only go beyond the rules when it fits their interest. Because, you know, I'm thinking about all this Western civilization, the most, uh, you know, sacred thing is the private property. So how do they legally actually uh, legitimize the fact that they are uh, abducting the uh, confiscating the private property of oligarchs in order to reach a political goal and also this russian sentiment i'm like probably you heard all of this but has reached some absurd levels in zagreb philharmony they took out tchaikovsky film program vienna philharmony Philharmonic Orchestra uh, canceled the contract with the Russian director uh, in Turkey. By the way, okay, we have to we have to be the extreme, of course. 
they pull, they're trying to pull out Dostoevsky from the survey column. So, yeah, uh, it, it is becoming nonsense. And many people uh, trying to legitimize this anti-Russian sentiment by telling that, I saw that kind of opinions, by telling that uh, 80%, more than 80% of Russians are supporting the war. Okay, my question is, are we going to compromise the remaining 20% or, and also how about the Russians who had to leave the country because of Putin? Uh, and also how about Duma last week passing a law uh, banning to call this a war, but a special operation. And you can be charged by 15 years if you call the invasion of Ukraine as a war. So these are my points. And I remember 2003 very well, because I was one of the uh, two spokespersons of No to War Coalition in Turkey. There was this shameless enthusiasm coming from Western countries. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but on the day the Iraqi war started, the invasion started, started uh, the Wall Street opening bell was rang by a general as a celebration of the war and the profit of the war. That was shameless. But this time, I think that shameless enthusiasm is replaced by this pride and honor of being on the victim's side, so to speak. Hmm. So this is an interesting war in an interesting time. Uh, and I want to hear what you think. Uh, hmm. I'm, I'm open to anyone who wants to go next. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that I, I think for me personally, and I think for all of us uh, on Let's Talk It Over, we've been involved in in solidarity and um, you know and and sort of um, social justice for many years. Uh, maybe I speak personally, but I, I obviously stand with the Ukrainian people, and I, I want this war to end. There's no question about it. But the hypocrisy we're seeing um, in terms of refugees, in terms of sanctions, in, in terms of boycott, in terms of media blackout, is out of this world. I've never seen this before. A quick example, my kid today play video games on like Nintendo. He opened the Nintendo game and instead of the, the name of the game, there was something about solidarity with Ukraine on, on the Nintendo Switch. Um, Please, solidarity with Ukraine, send money. This All profits made by this game today will be sent to Ukraine. It's amazing. But now if they need to apply the same standard to everyone else around the world. So, sorry. But, I have to add yeah. something, uh, a small thing. I am not really criticizing the people who are joining these peace protests. I am not for, you know, spotting the hypocrisy there. Okay, you didn't do this for Syrians. Now you're doing it for Ukrainians because they are white Christians and so on. Because when people are doing something good in the name of good, it's not nice to you know, uh, curb their enthusiasm. But I think we have to be careful about the, this being utilized in terms of real politics and so on. I don't know. What do you think, Yanis? I mean, was I too harsh? Brian has his hand up, so you're going to hear from Brian. Oh, sorry, I didn't see that. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> right. um, well, I agree with everything you just said, Eche. What I would say I find most remarkable is the the great comfort that people find in all agreeing with each other. 
So I, I have never seen any international event so universally and so simplistically presented. You know, it's more and more being, the story is being told as if there's no context, no history, nothing happened before 17 days ago. Suddenly these Russians turned up in Ukraine. Huge surprise, you know. And of course I don't support the invasion of Ukraine at all. And I certainly don't support what's happening to the people there. But whenever I try to mention that this, is a, this comes as a result of a history, which we are involved in, we had a part in, quite a big part in, people say, oh, so you're a Putinist, are you? You support Putin. And this kind of them and us mentality seems to have dominated absolutely everybody, including all the liberals that I know. I had an incredible experience the other day. I was playing um, some songs to, some unreleased songs to some friends who wanted to record one of my unreleased songs. And I played one and they said, oh, that's really great. Love that one. Can we do that? And I said, yes. And they said, what's the name? I said, St. Petersburg. That was actually the name of the song. And they said, oh, I don't think we can do that. Can we do that? You know, and I thought, what is controversial about that? And are we really in a position now where we're going to say the Russians are so evil that everything that Russians have ever done must be cast away from us as though tainted by the devil? So uh, I, I've never seen anything like this before. The only thing a little bit like it was the um, destruction of Jeremy Corbyn, actually. That was, that was a rather similar operation. Um, again, it was black and white, you know. So that's all I want to say right now, because other people want to speak. Well, I know the shame of being a citizen of a country run by a dictator. You know, things are done in your name and you're constantly in this, oh my God, like you know, this really deeply shameful uh, feeling. So I can imagine at least this 20% of the population is in that mood at the moment. So I cannot... I, I don't feel comfortable compromising that. I'm like, and also, you know, anti-Russian. What is that? I'm like, as if the Europe found its new Jews or something. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Come on, Roger. That was too much. Well, um, of course, I agree with everything and all of that. All of that. We all do. Um. Uh, you know, this is this is so distressing that it. I find it very difficult to kind of put my thoughts together, and so I want to concentrate my mind now on to saying what really is what is important about this. The the most fundamentally important thing about it, and of course you're right about all the all the blue and yellow fills me with absolute horror the waving of flags we had this conversation before the show ever went out but that, and i'm sure it does everybody because it's very difficult to actually concentrate your mind on the idea that what you're doing is taking the sides of innocent people against people who are not innocent and there's a perpetrator and a victim and that's what the context of this is because that is not the context of this but it is the narrative that we have been set up for over years 
of of the recent trend in propaganda to demonize Russia, for instance, because this is relatively recent. This is, I mean, let's let's not forget that Perestroika is only 1991. It's not that long ago, and there, and there were, you know, meetings at the highest level. You know, Reagan and Gorbachev did sit in a room together and they did agree to ban intermediate-range nuclear weapons and so on and so forth. There was a real movement towards detente and towards diplomacy being important and towards looking at the possibility of maybe building a future that we could all survive, right? And now we're looking at this and people, by and large, and we're talking about huge majorities of people in Western countries, it seems to be, though we don't, it's very difficult to find the other side of the story of what's even going on because of the censorship of the other side of the story. Uh, it's 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 great that we're still on, that you can still get this and that YouTube hasn't cancelled everything yet, but they're drifting in that direction slowly but surely the jaws of the censor are closed. Anyway, what am I trying to say? Um, why is this war being uh, encouraged to proceed by pouring money into the Ukraine, A, and B, by not engaging in diplomacy? I stumbled into a webinar like this last week. It, it, I think the people who were running it, who were lovely and very intelligent and blah, but a friend of mine was on it, Ray McGovern, ex-CIA analyst. I'm sure you all know him or you know you know his work. Um, and, and so I listened to them for like nearly two hours. And at the end of it, suddenly one of them said, Mr. Waters, would you like to speak? And I was a bit shocked. And I did. I fumbled my way through a few expletives um, <laughs> to my eternal shame. And then, uh, but then, uh, but I also said, well, there's only about 10 of us watching this, you know, and we need to somehow do we get there? And Ray, bless him, sent me an email afterwards and said, you know, actually, because um, he he had done a conversation with John Mearsheimer, who we also all know, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that a lot of you out there in in you know in computer land have heard of John Mearsheimer and Ray McGovern. Well, the the program that they did together has now had over a million views. That's a lot. That's a big. That's a pretty big congregation right there. So he corrected me on that. I wrote to him yesterday and said, whoops, I'm sorry, that was a huge blunder on my part. And if I'm ever on that, invited to speak anywhere again ever, I will try not to make that mistake and I'll try to cut down on the expletives a bit because it's not a good way of selling, you know, a different side of the narrative. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. It it seems quite clear, does it not, that the reason that it's being exacerbated and allowed to go on is because the oligarchs wanted to, and as Yanis pointed out in one of his recent things that I read, oligarchs are not Russians, they're the few rich people who run everything, and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Certainly, they're all over the West. The West is completely controlled by corporations, and and the people who invest in those corporations, by and large, oligarchs, because they've got most of the cash or and whatever. They want it to keep going because it makes money. 
and this, this is this is really the thing that we, we we're not looking at is the fact that the people who are making the decision to keep the war going and to keep killing Ukrainians and Russians and all sorts of Ukrainians, you know, some of them are the Azov battalions, who, you know, in years gone by, we would have put on a uniform maybe to go and fight them because we disagree with their politics so intensely. So, 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 so it's being continued because there's money in it. I know that I know Brian. Brian has said this often in this program down this pub. I've heard Brian Eno say exactly the same thing. That is why you know um, the war industry in the United States has ha, is spread into all fifty-two states. Everybody has a piece of it, so that you can never attack the Pentagon budget and blow and, and all of that stuff. Um, but the thing is, oh my God, what a dangerous game they're playing with all this talk of a no-fly zone and you know and you you and i we're all re- i'm reading everything that jan is right i'm reading you know if brian would only bloody well write something i'd read all that <laughs> <laughs> you know but and, and i read everything that ray mcgovern says and that john mearsheimer says and and that noam chomsky says and that all the wise men all over the world are saying as to how that but they're not and they don't give a shit and that's the really, truly scary thing. And they don't understand, I believe, just how close to the wind, the nuclear wind, they're sailing. Because I'm, it scares the shit out of me. I really, I, I, I feel it every day now. I feel it every day. As, as the rhetoric builds and builds and as more and more people divert their attention to you know, to shining a yellow and blue light on Battersea Power Station. I go, what are you doing? Or the Empire State or whatever. You're making this into a nationalist thing? Because that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. of course we all disapprove of, you know, the breaking of um, the UN Charter and the illegal illegal wars and we could go on and on and on again about iraq palestine you know the israeli invasion of palestine and the 50-year impression of the palestinian people and why doesn't anybody care about that and we probably will well i probably will later Hmm. in this program but i'll shut up for now um yanis i wanted to give you the floor i can ask you a question actually yanis because uh, I, I, I want us to address this article you've written about uh, why stop at uh, Russian oligarchs. But in your opinion, I mean, I know it's going to be hard to keep this short, but why did this happen first? Why did Russia invade Ukraine? And also, I mean, it'd be interesting to know your views about how we can end the war, because it's good talking about the war, but how you can and the war, and we know there are actually options on the table. And before I let you speak, there's more than 1,000 people apparently watching us live. So folks, if you want this video to be seen and viewed by as many people as possible, you know, click the like button, subscribe, subscribe to all the channels, etc. And now it, it's, it's you, Yanis. Thanks. Well, thanks. Of course, we, you know, the reason why we are down the pub together is because we usually happen to agree on almost everything. And this is just another occasion. But I want to take it a bit further. You see, this, the sea of yellow and blue covering Europe is a hypocritical sea. 
This is my number one accusation. In other words, what do I mean by that? That while most of the people who go out there and demonstrate are very well-meaning, this, if you look at it as a movement, this movement does not really have the interests of Ukrainians in their heart as a movement, not as individuals participating in these events. What do I, do I mean by this? Frank, you asked me, what is the only possible solution now? And there aren't many. There's only one. There are two options. One is a tragic one, a quagmire, a kind of Afghanistan, a permanent conflict, something between Afghanistan and Cyprus on the, uh, on the eastern flank of, of, of Europe. Uh, you know, a slow burning, maybe not that slow burning, permanent conflict of a divided country with armies of occupation, with uh, expropriation here, there, everywhere. This is, you know, a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe for Ukraine. It's a catastrophe for our comrades in Russia who happen to be... DiEM25, Edge knows that. We have comrades, as we speak now, I'm not going to mention their names for obvious reasons, who are in prison, being tortured by Putin's henchmen for having demonstrated in St. Petersburg and in Moscow. There are particular persons that, you know, occupy my soul and my mind almost every day because I know what they're going through. The reason why I'm saying that, you know, the West, NATO, the, our, the powers that be, our governments, are hypocritical about the Ukrainians is because the only alternative to this quagmire is a meeting between Biden and Putin. Nothing else will, will sort this out, whereby there is an agreement of the two superpowers, because you know, there are no other powers in Europe. The European Union is a figment of our imagination, doesn't exist geostrategically. It is simply the tail that the NATO wog wags. Uh, so imagine, the only thing that could happen is Moscow and Washington could, could come to an arrangement with Zelensky agreeing to it and with the European Union playing an auxiliary role, uh, role mainly financing, that there's going to be something that Putin can proclaim to be a victory mm. and something that the West can proclaim the victory. You know, a solution that leaves everybody slightly dissatisfied, but in the end spares the people of Ukraine. And what would that solution be? It's really very straightforward. Cessation of uh, the conflict, removal of the Russian troops, an independent, neutral Ukraine along the lines of Austria. We can discuss possible association with the European Union, like Austria had one during the Cold War. Regarding the Donbas area, you can have something like the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland which creates checks and balances, a kind of joint sovereignty, the same way that Northern Ireland has enjoys joint sovereignty by London and Dublin with EU money and uh, investment, something like that in the Donbass area to guarantee the rights of Ukrainian speakers, Russian speakers. Crimea can be kicked into the, into the long grass and can be put on the shelf to discuss, you know, in a thousand years again. Uh, <laughs> that would be a solution that Putin would take to his own folks, the KGB, FSB, you know, oligarchs, whatever, and say, look, I won. What did I want? To end the eastward expansion of NATO. Yeah. I succeeded. And I've denazified Mariupol, you know, the Azov battalion, go to hell, Nazis, anyway. Right? So he can, he can, he can proclaim his own victory. We can pro proclaim our own victory that, you know, Russian troops are out 
and they didn't destroy the sovereignty of Ukraine, and the Ukrainians can live in peace. And if the Europeans really mean their commitment to the Ukrainian people, you know, stop painting everything yellow and blue, send them 100 billion euros mm -hmm. and rebuild the bloody country. And you know what? Something else. How about wiping out the $97 billion of public debt that the Ukraine owns to Western banks? If you really want to be solidaristic, do that. They are not doing any of that. My suspicion, it's a suspicion, I cannot prove it, history will tell, is that this is a solution President Zelensky really, really aches for. He really wants it. He's already mentioned four days ago that he no longer wants the Ukraine to be part of NATO. He's already mentioned that there can be an arrangement about Donbass and that Crimea can be discussed later. I said a thousand years, he said later. My great fear is that when Putin is ready, following the very brave resistance of Ukrainians who've inflicted heavy losses on his army and so on, when he's ready to sign such an agreement, Washington DC will torpedo it. Because the United States of America are great beneficiaries from this war, and, they, and there are elements, I'm not saying that everybody in, the, in Washington is like this, but there are elements, powerful elements within the military-industrial complex and the fracking oil and gas industry, especially in Texas and New Mexico, who are loving this. They're called they donors. Donors. Well, you know, Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany, announced that he's going to buy... 100 billion euros worth of equipment from America, you know? And similarly, and at the same time, they are already negotiating for LNG, liquid, um, liquefied natural gas, to be transported from Qatar and primarily Texas, fracked gas, to new terminals in Hamburg, where you are. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm so, always in shitty situations, yeah. <laughs> this is my fear. My fear is that, you see, and so they are the ones who are participating in this yellow and blue wonderful sea <clears throat> of support, of solidarity with Ukraine. But in the end, you know, the powers that be behind supporting and creating the circumstances, as Edge put it very, very well, you know, this, this, this um, resonance between. Uh, people that are solidaristic with an invaded country and the powers that be, the media, the establishment. Yeah? That, those powers that be really do not have the interests of Ukrainians in their mind. And you can see that when, you know, when I stood up in Greek parliament and generally around Europe, and I've been, I advocated the Austria solution, you know, a democratic, independent, but neutral, non-NATO country, I was immediately hounded. I had the former prime minister of Finland coming out and lambasting me for being Putin's useful idiot. Yeah. You know, to quote uh, Brian, or misquote him. Okay. Uh, because I was talking about the neutral Ukraine. So these people are prepared to sacrifice the people of Ukraine on the altar of maintaining their theoretical right to be a member of NATO. And the rest of us. Let's not forget the nuclear problem because we should never, that should always be there, right in the front of our mind, because this is very, very dangerous brinkmanship. And, and if I may add an, a second grave worry that I have, it's not a worry, it's, I'm experiencing it. These wars, imperialist wars, because this is a typical 
First World War type of imperialist war. Two imperialist sides clashing with, you know, huge numbers of victims on both sides. Um, they have a, a tradition of dividing the left. Remember how the Second International was destroyed by the Great War. The Social Democrats in Germany took the side of the German government, the nationalist government. Uh, some Russians took the side of the Tsar. And we split between the Second and Third International. I don't think that, that the left ever recovered from that split between Social Democrats and Bolsheviks. We never recovered. And now we have something like that. I have been personally attacked, personally attacked. Uh, Noam Chomsky has been attacked. Uh, Naomi Klein has been attacked. I'm sure you will be attacked very soon, <laughs> if you haven't already been, uh, by left-wing comrades in Eastern Europe, in particular in Poland, for something called West-splaining. It's a, mm -hmm. it, yeah, uh, it's it's a form of mansplaining. That is, I've been accused of condescendingly telling Eastern Europeans what is in their interest. Now that's a very big accusation, right? Uh, if it were true, it, it I've been accused of denying them agency, of saying that, it, as Rogers has said, that it is in the interest of the West and of the East and of everybody to resolve this situation now with a neutral Ukraine solution. And, you know, these comrades, former comrades, actually, um, they don't want to consider themselves to be my comrades. So that's why I'm saying I would like them still to be my comrades, but they don't want to. So I'm not going to impose my comradeship upon them. Uh, they are saying that, oh, you are denying us agency uh, and you are imposing upon us on the, in the East your Western left-wing fixation with NATO and the Americans. We care only about uh, being defended from Russia. Now, I understand that if you're Polish, you have a very long history of being fucked over by Russia, by Russian occupiers. Excuse my non-scientific language. Um, and, you know, and I can understand why we have different perspectives. You know, I grew up in a fascist dictatorship sponsored by NATO. They grew up in a communist dictatorship sponsored by the Warsaw Pact. So, you know, difference of opinion and perspectives and sensibilities are absolutely understandable. What is not understandable, I don't think, is um, to be told that, you know what, uh, we Eastern Europeans know better about Eastern Europe. Uh, a majority wants us to be in NATO, in the Ukraine, in Poland. So who are you to tell us that we, we shouldn't be in NATO? Well, it's me. I mean, my name is Yanis, and I'm telling you that you're wrong. In the same way that when I speak to Greeks, if the Greeks, you know, if somebody shows me an opinion poll that 70% of Greeks want to be in NATO, I don't give a damn. I will say that 70% of Greeks are wrong. And nobody's going to deny me the right to be critical of a majority that has been formed through a kind of propaganda process. That's why we're in the left. We're not going to stop being left-wing <laughs> because the majority have been influenced by the right. Okay, and I'm not going to shut up about my views regarding Poland. I will not be condescending to my Polish or Ukrainian comrades. I am not going to pretend that I know better than them about what's good for them. But they are not, not going to say to me that I don't have the right to speak about, you know, Poland being or Ukraine being in NATO. This is the basis of internationalism. And if we of the left forfeit the very principle of internationalism, that, you know, when we speak about Burkina Faso or Nigeria, or New Jersey, or Greece, we all have an opinion because we are all citizens of the world. This is what we are as Europeans, as people of the world, as Africans, as Indians, as communists, as socialists, as, you know, progressives. So I've said my piece. Bravo.
can I can I can I pick no, on that? Really? No, I agree with so, you so wholeheartedly that I have to. Sorry, actually, I didn't mean to. No, it's okay, Roger. Um, there is this, you know, Brian's Petersburg story and your story come together in my head because this narrative being almost sec not secretly, but like by a invisible hand, let's say, when the narrative is determined by this invisible hand, mm -hmm. when it's adopted by people so enthusiastically as if it's their own personal uh, free choice, it gets me thinking, because I remember how things turned around in Turkey when AKP came to power in 2002, and, and then like for five years, it became almost sinful to criticize AKP. It was this weird period. It was embarrassing to be on that side, because if you were on that side, you were, you know, supporting the army you're supporting the military coup and so on it's almost the same today if you're talking about uh, you know nato uh, instead of trashing putin or russia that means that you're a putin lover whatever putin supporter if you're making a music with the title petersburg you are suddenly on putin's side and so on mm -hmm. when the narrative is uh, so um, how shall I put it? Look, so invisibly determined, there is something fishy going on there. And you were so right about the split of the left First World War. It is so similar to that because you were, uh, you know, you were attacked personally, Yanis, by you know these people. I was attacked by Turkish, not Turkish actually, from the left. For some reason, suddenly many people became Putin lovers when you say something like correct trying to say something correct and objective you know you're in quoting crossfire but the other thing is this you, you put europe into this almost uh you know non-actor uh in this story but i do think that they finally found the reason the europe idea finally found the reason to resurrect itself to unify around and so on i mean like everybody knows here that we have been invited to these panels on europe who where, where is europe what is europe what is the idea of europe where is europe going and you know all this blah blah nowhere and, is the answer nowhere not any panel now there is europe you see i'm mean, like yeah. This is but a political it's completely epidemic. There is nothing there. There is nothing there. They can't there is now. Because they can't organize and escape out of the brown paper bag, the Europeans. You know, they really <laughs> cannot organize a piss up in a brewery. You know, they are just completely hopeless. They all have, you know, they wear the the, 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 the blue and yellow. But, but what other what other hope do we have, Yanis? What what other bodies? might cohere well, not my view on this it, you know we have to take over europe but the, the 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 you know the establishment of the european union they're pathetic <laughs> they're completely yeah, yanis uh, is the progressive international and he's probably right you're you're in in uh, political cahoots with this greek over here brian eno we all are you're part of dm ecosipende i've seen your name on the bloody you know headed notepaper marla and good for you i would be let me give you an example let, let me give you a tangible example right for a week now brian and Ed and roger and frank you know they have been ministers of defense of the european union have been locked up in a room 
trying to come up with a plan for a European army, okay? Which, of course, you know, we could have told them it can't work. Why? Because let's say we have a European army. Let's say we create a, a strong, you know, 300,000 men and women European army. Who is going to send them to war? We don't have a government. We do not have a European government. You know, Ursula von der Leyen, right, can, doesn't even, con, con, you know, um, have authority within her block of flats. Um, she's a failed minister of defense from Germany who is now in Brussels. Nobody pays attention to her. She cannot send 300,000 men and women to war. Who's going to do it? Macron. He, can, yeah, he, he cannot, con, you know, command German and Greek and Italian soldiers. We don't have a government, so we cannot have a European army. So you know what happened? After a week of these deliberations, they decided they're going to form a 5,000 strong uh, rapid deployment force. And then when our journalists said to them, so what will this rapid, where are they going to be deployed? How will they be deployed? Well, they had, of course, to say that they cannot be deployed um, at the front, any front, not a Ukrainian front, any front, because nobody can command them. So you know what? In the end, they had to admit that their job will, description will be to evacuate, ev evacuate EU diplomats and personnel from EU embassies in case of conflict. You know, <laughs> that was great of the EU over the last week. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have any hope. He's listening to this and he's laughing his head off. And so is, of course, Biden. And so is, of course, China. Because the European Union is a big, stupid continent. No, I mean, like Brian's question. Um, okay, when there is war talk, of course, there is this deployments, you know, soldiers and, you know, finance and power game. So one fears to appear naive. And this fear of naivete actually takes over the conversation. And you never actually at the end speak about the people. So we don't, don't we have any hope uh, in terms of Russian people trying to stop this, uh, stopping this war. They are. Of course, they They are. Obviously, Yanis has already told you he's got friends in prison who are trying to... I know. To, to a, listen, a big all we can do, Eche, do we have any hope? Yeah, of course we have hope. This is it. We're expressing our hope here. We're joining the conversation. We are hoping that our small voices will join the choir and eventually the sound of the choir singing in harmony will persuade all those people out in the streets waving blue and yellow flags that that is not where the fight is. The fight is the fight in the out here in Cyberland, in the land of where propaganda works its way and where which gets all those people with blue and yellow flags out into the street. When when in fact we all know and they should know that the the resolution of the conflict in Ukraine, which is why they're waving the blue and yellow flags, lies not with them. It lies, as Yanis quite rightly points out, so let's repeat it again and again and again and again. Joe Biden has to meet with Putin and Zelensky. That has to happen. And then slowly they... But as, as Yanis also rightly points out, the powers that be, the ruling class in the United States and all the other countries that produce armaments don't want peace. 
They do not want it to happen. Some of them do, Roger. Some of the, some of them do. We need to exploit the divisions between big capital, because you know the, the companies that make weapons and the companies that frack gas and oil in Texas, they want the war to continue, and they're very powerful. But there are others that don't want it, like Google, for instance, or um, Apple. They're not happy with this because their their sales and profits are going down as a result of um, the disruption of trade. So isn't so it interesting, though, that the ones who want it are ones who are making money and the ones who don't want it are the ones who make more money if it's not... We, we need to turn them against each other. We need to find, to exploit these fissures and the conflicts and uh, between capitalists. How can that, that be done? Very skillful left-wingers. Well, this is very interesting direction that this conversation has taken in, because I want to hear what Brian has to say about well, it. What I would like to know is, do, do we have examples of that happening, of that uh, some kind of leverage being applied within the ruling classes to, I hate using the phrase, the ruling classes. <laughs> so, I, I like using it, so please continue to use it. Well, I'll, I'll use it for you. Um, but, you know... What I notice most of all about people of the right, they stick together because they, ah. they, they can bury a lot of disagreements in order to maintain the status quo. But I can give you examples, though. I can give you examples. Um, one of the stalwarts of the establishment in the United States, you know, a geostrategic thinker, you know, cold warrior, Atlanticist, always on the side of evil, Thomas Friedman, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the columnist of New York Times. Yeah. He's come out with what we're saying. He's come out with what we're saying. Kissinger really? himself has come out with what we're saying. You know, we are on the same side as Kissinger. That's enough for me to, to contemplate <laughs> suicide, right? Um, but, but you can see that there are these people who are calling for um, caution. They are very worried about something else. They are very worried that what they are doing in the context of the economic war against Russia is going to be the end of the exorbitant privilege of the American dollar. Uh -huh. Because think about it. They, they use the nuclear weapon, financial nuclear weapon, a weapon of mass financial destruction. Uh, and, and I have to say I was surprised because I wasn't expecting them to do it. Okay, it wasn't the sanctions about oil and stuff. You know, they are already, as we speak, you know, they're paying Russia $700 million a day. The West is paying, as we speak, you know, for gas and oil. So, you know, this, this is a hypocrisy. But there's one thing that they did, which was a nuclear financial weapon. They cut off the Russian central bank from the international yeah. system of central bank payments. Yeah. Now, that yeah. is big because as we speak, the Central Bank of Russia has $800 billion in the bag, or in the proverbial bag, to which they do not have access. They have, Russia has debts that are maturing, bonds that are maturing as we speak, that are owned by Dutch, German, French, British banks. So essentially, Washington and the West, but Washington, is forcing the Russian Central Bank not to pay to default on debts that it has to the West. That is creating serious problems, 
uh, there may be a Lehman's moment, maybe not, but whether there is one or not, okay? Over the last three years, the Chinese Central Bank, the Central Bank of China, of the People's Republic, created an alternative renminbi-based digital currency, which is speak and span, it's beautiful. I mean, technically, it's, it's wow. But of course, it's like a huge motorway without cars because they built the system, but nobody's using it. Everybody's using the dollar system. But as of last week, the Russians have been using it yeah. uh, to, to, to sell oil to China. China has increased by 50% its sale of energy, sorry, its importation of energy from Russia. So this big highway, technological digital highway for payments that the Chinese have built three years ago, and which were they were beta testing with 100 million Chinese people. <laughs> now, okay, uh, it's being used by Russia. So Russia is selling energy to China. It is getting all these digital one, Remnimbis, digital Chinese currency. But then it uses the same system to buy stuff from India, bypassing the dollar payment system. Now, mm -hmm. uh, the... the People like Thomas Friedman in the New York Times is freaking out because he can see that this is undermining the exorbitant privilege of the dollar. And he says, what the hell are we doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, from an Atlanticist, right-wing, capitalist, American perspective. Yeah. So there are these issues. Mm -hmm. But, um, yes, uh, and one of the questions that I don't know the answer to is all this oligarchic money has been running Europe so far since years mm. and the United States as well up to a certain degree it's mostly american for every 1 dollar brought over to europe to europe mm. by russia 10 dollars have come from an american oligarch it's yeah. a 10 to 1 the ratio mm. yes yeah, the saudis the nigerians you know the emirates the chinese you know, who buy stuff in Australia, they, have, they bought half of Australia and New Zealand. Um, the, the, you know, it, it, the, the place is swimming in oligarchic money. That's why, you know, I sent you this article. Yeah, where, where the title says it all. Why stop at uh, Russian oligarchs? Let's That's begin by handing over Chelsea Football Club that we take away from Abramovich to its fans and turn it into a cooperative. Giannis. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> I see the new CEO of Chelsea Football Club sitting <laughs> on the screen in front of me now. Yanis Varoufakis, CEO, taking over That's from Eugene Tenham now. Blue. I hate blue. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon, I will be able to talk about football, by the way. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank is today wearing, uh, what's the team? Skull and Senate. Crossbones. San Pauli. I am going to San Pauli. Oh, that was a beer. Huh? It's a What's beer. I don't even know what San Pauli is. It's a it's football, football club, club and a beer. You know, be that cool. bloke who had that vision on the road to Damascus as a possibility. Right. Yeah, there's an eye at the end. That's that's that exactly. Now San San Pauli is actually yeah. Go go AJ. It's a no, suburb no, of an advanced level with this <laughs> football talk. So no, no, San Paulo is actually a, a suburb of Hamburg that historically has been on the forefront of resistance against capitalism, etc. So, for and San Paulo is the football team of this suburb, 
Uh, and when I was in San Paoli uh, for the G20, I think, I can't remember, four years ago, five years ago, maybe six years ago, um, uh, they opened the stadium for demonstrators to prepare and stuff. So it's, it's um, historically a very radical suburb of Hamburg that he, apparently even during Germany Nazism um, voted, a lot of them voted co communist, you know, communist for the communist party, even if it was super dangerous at the time. So, so that's why um, it's a badge of honor to wear the, the top of this, of this team. And Actually, I the, should the only invite you for the match of St. Pauli because I heard that it's an experience. Yeah, it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. Because uh, they've got a big stadium. It's not a small team. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a legendary stuff. Mm. So, yeah. I'll, I'll we've got about, Pauli, just to yeah. say, we've got about five minutes to go. Um, oh. Joanne, who is our tech person, is telling me there's like more than 1,300 people watching us, which is our record. Uh, people watching us, again, like the video, subscribe to various channels, DM25, Roger Waters, and let's talk it over. Uh, but we've got, a, yeah, about five, ten minutes max. So, um, um, Brian, you wanted to say something. Yes, Sorry. well, what I want to say is that what we all have to do, I think, it's very clear from our conversation that we agree about quite a lot of things, and I can't think that it's only us. So we have to have the courage to actually start saying these things. I mean, it is very difficult because people really don't want to hear it. It's so comfortable, everybody agreeing about things and all taking the same point of view and feeling that we're all allied together in a very good cause and you know, there's no ambiguity about it. There's this evil bastard called Putin on the one side, and then there's us good Christians on the other side. Um, we we really must, as much as we possibly can, say to everyone we know, it's a bit more simply complicated than that. You know, there's there's really a lot of other stories besides this single one that we're being told. And I mean, it takes it does take courage to do it. You you feel. You can feel the pressure if you even start to make a sentence about this. If you even say it might be a bit more complicated than that, you can feel the look yeah. coming on. But um, if, if enough of us can do it and say, yes, we're sympathetic, but we're not completely hoodwinked. Yep. We well, well, let me just say this. So... I'm assuming that everybody listening to this is they're probably maybe they're on iPhones, but they probably have a computer. So put in John Mearsheimer, Ray McGovern, and watch that for a start just to get the basic history of mm. what has led up to this crisis. OK, I would also like to speak directly, if I may, to this girl from the Ukraine who I was in in correspondence with. Alina, who's a 19-year-old girl from Kiev, I believe. And, and we, we, we had a little exchange of emails until suddenly it didn't sound like her anymore. It sounded like Big Brother was writing it for her because it was suddenly completely changed. But before it changed, she took issue with me on one small point in the early correspondence, and this correspondence is available, by the way, on my website, on my Facebook page. So if you want to read my correspondence with this young woman in Ukraine, you can. It's there. Um, Alina, uh, yeah, what did she say? She said, you're wrong about one thing. I live here, and I, I'm 200% certain there are no 
neo-fascists in the Ukraine. And I see. Well, exactly. But hmm. isn't that fascinating that this young woman, and she probably believes that to be true, if you see what I mean, or she has no idea what uh, and what the Azov Battalion is, what a neo-fascist well, that's what war does. The moment war begins, you lose any capacity to have a a, a decent exchange of information. Even that's yeah. why we have to look at Mayor Scheimer and Ray McGovern. If yeah. you haven't seen this, and by uh, the way, um, Roger, uh, you mentioned Mayor Scheimer. He gave a speech at the University of Chicago six years ago. The speech is called "Why Is Ukraine the West's Fault?" The speech got twenty-two million views. As we speak, so um, yeah. well. Let's not forget that there were 22 million of us in the streets in March uh, 2003, the day before. Well done. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Ray we can, we can post the links uh, when that, we finish. You know, there were 20 million people in the streets on the on February the 14th, 2003, which was, which was, you know, only a couple of weeks before the invasion of. Iraq and so so the people made it quite clear and plain that they knew that they were this was a desperate and desperate mistake and that our leaders should not do it and unfortunately our leaders took no notice but that's I'm really glad that Frank shared that number with us that 20 million did you say 20 million people have 22, 20, 22 yeah have, have viewed john mearsheimer's speech so john mearsheimer it's a one hour long video as well he, he speaks very eloquently hmm. and anybody who who anybody who cares about the ukraine never mind the bloody blue and yellow flag watch that learn something about it educate yourself find out what has led us into this situation because as I, I'm, this will be my final word as we're running out of time, because, you know, let's not forget that it was only a few months ago or a couple of years ago that Mike Pompeo was Secretary of State or whatever he was. Some of these politicians in the West and maybe in the East too, I don't know Putin at all. I've never met him. I've no idea. Though he does... He does at least sound as if he's not completely insane. When you hear him speak, he can string a sentence together. But people like Pompeo, these raging Christian Zionists, you know, you, you know that they just where's that fucking red button? You know, I want to push it. They're crazy, completely insane. So we do have to be very, very careful. I think that everyone should should watch Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just assume everybody's seen it ten times. No, we're too old. That's why we're stupid. And Paths of Glory, by the way, 1957. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paths of Glory. Okay, the last word for me is, um, you know, one thing you, you know, the most humiliating to, thing that one can do to a people is to equate that people with the dictator. Mm -hmm. So Russians are more than Putin, far more than Putin. Let's not forget that, please, because I really feel for those people who are uh, in excruciating shame and who feel completely helpless. And our Russian brothers and sisters did defeat the Nazi menace during the Second World War. They won the Second World War, not the plucky Brits or the American, <laughs> the Russian people did. It cost them 26 million lives or something like that. And so let's never the forget Soviet. that. Either. <laughs>
What? And by the way, your piece should be called, I have a problem with your piece, Brian, St. Petersburg. I can't fathom that. <laughs> <laughs> Leningrad, mate, Leningrad. <laughs> when I lived there, it was St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to get more attacks on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never be a hit, no. <laughs> Shoot, Brian, do you want to say something to yes, wrap I it just, up? Or Yanis? Well, yeah. Since we're recommending books and films, I, I would like to recommend one book um, by a historian, a German historian called Sebastian Hafner called Defying Hitler. And it, for me, it's the best best piece of writing about how a civilization falls in, down the hole. It's been a guiding light for me for a very long time. It just shows how easy it is for everyone to agree about the wrong thing. Edge has written a pretty good book about that too. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, <laughs> Brian, Brian loves that book. Brian, what's that again? I want to write it down. It's called Defying Hitler. Okay. And if you want by... to read my book, uh, Roger, it's called How to Lose the Country. <laughs> we'll post all the links uh, you know when once the the live is over we can post all the links in the Very description you do that Yanis, no do you want, do you want, we're all friends here do you do you <laughs> want to wrap up Yanis? no i really enjoyed it tonight um yeah me too i, yeah, I just me all I, all i want to say is thanks to all of you thank you okay. thanks everyone and, and i want to say thanks actually again to Johan rolls who is the yeah, invisible hand and i've said he's a tech guy he's not a tech guy he's actually the producer of this yeah. show so sorry you joan you know you're Thank the producer you of the show so um thanks everyone uh uh for watching us um we hope to have more conversations like this uh hopefully the war will end soon uh, but we're not so sure about that and you'll understand why if you rewatch the conversation um Yeah, it was Let's Talk It Over. I think the nine, show number nine um, we've done together. Tomorrow you'll be able to listen to this as a podcast as well on, again, all the podcast providers like Spotify, etc. So um, thanks everyone and um, let's uh, keep fighting. La soledad empajona, la el corazón se iguala Desde aquel día en que mi longuita se fue Para donde marcharía, esta longuita cuando volverá. Han pasado ya seis cosechas, en el campo solo hay rastrojo, con tu partida has dejado en mi alma solo abrojos, y a la rama de los sauces se inclinaron más arriba. Para donde marcharía. Esta longuita cuando volverá Para donde marcharía Esta longuita cuando volverá Thank you.